And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Metrospective Podcast. I'm Ted Berg, joined on the line, as always, by the Athletics Mets beat writer, Tim Britton. Tim, can we just start the regular season? It is that point of spring training where even the players are like, yeah, like, I got my work in. I don't need to do more work. What are we doing? What are we doing? Like, they just, I don't, and like, I'm so sick of saying like, oh, you know, like, this guy looks good. Oh, oh, maybe that's what's how the bullpen will shake out. Like, just, I want to see how the bullpen shakes out. I don't want to think about how the bullpen shakes out anymore. I want to see it. I want to see it start happening. Uh, Enough of this. Enough of this. It's beautiful outside New York. It's baseball weather. I am uh, sitting in the empty apartment next to my own, uh, like, reconditioning my gloves for my old man scrub hardball season. I'm ready for the baseball to start, the real meaningful baseball. And you're telling me it's not time yet. We got one more week to go. One more week of uh, the Mets having Grapefruit League games that they like might not want to throw their best pitchers in because you don't want Jacob deGrom giving away too much of, of what he is to the Nationals. The Nationals don't know yet that Jacob deGrom is very good, so you can't have him pitch that last game before. Well, and it's always a thing. It's always a thing with the Mets and uh, and the Nationals and Marlins. Because and especially now, because they play each other so frequently in the spring, they've always played each other frequently in the spring because they've always been on the same coast of Florida. But now this year, it's just they're they're only playing four other teams, uh, and that was always just kind of that thing, you know, like oh we we don't want to show too much to the to the Nationals and the Marlins because we're going to inevitably see them in the first couple of weeks of the season. And sure enough, they've got they've got the Nationals and Marlins. I think pretty pretty early in in the year. The Nationals they start with, and then I think the Marlins maybe a couple weeks later. Yeah, it's Nats, Phillies, Marlins, Phillies, I think is the first four series of the year. Uh, so that's, you know, you see you see the division right away. They don't see the Braves, uh, I think, until mid, mid-May, uh, which is interesting and the, the exact opposite of what it was supposed to be last year. So, uh, yeah, it, it's just time where, like, I think the hitters at this point have gotten the at-bats they wanted. Uh, you know, the, the Mets, with, with a com- different spring schedule this year, you know, you don't have as many games. And so the the buildup was less spaced out than it usually is. You know, it's usually like that first game you're playing a college team or something and uh, every starter gets one at bat and, you know, two days off and then another at bat. Jeff Wilbon's kid mysteriously goes three for four. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, You know, you're used to that part of spring training. We didn't have that this year. So, guys, it was just a little bit more. It was a steeper buildup for most most players and I, I think the position players have reached the point where they're ready the bullpen guys have reached the point where they're basically ready uh it's just the starting pitchers getting that last start in i think we're on on to basically the penultimate start for these guys uh with degrom going monday stroman on tuesday of this week uh and then start you know they'll, they'll have the one more over the weekend or, or early next week uh before the season starts we on our last show we did some over unders 
uh, with the pitching staff, and you have prepared for me more over-unders this time in the offensive sector. Over-under, Ted, how many over-unders have I prepared for you? Seven and a half. Yeah, over. I happen to know the answer is over because I'm looking at them. Uh, so we have eight, but we don't know that we'll get You See, now we don't know. We might have just lied. It might be. That might have been a bad bet because we don't know how far we'll get. Yeah. So uh, what, what I like to do is email these to you just before we go on so that I am totally prepared for all of them since I made them up and I looked up stuff. Uh, and you have to answer on the fly. I'm That's just called. Going, I, you know, I'm, I'm going with my, with my gut here anyway. I, I mean, I you know what? I guess, I guess what it is is I trust you enough to make good over-unders and like that's the thing is you don't really like if it's a good over-under then there's really shouldn't be a wrong answer right there there shouldn't be oh he's obviously wrong about this one because if you did your job and i trust that you did then either call is fair right like over under uh minutes georgetown would be into it in the ncaa tournament i would have gone i I wouldn't have said it at like five i would have said it Closer to like 32 or something. I mean, what a shame it is that they would cancel the NCAA tournament <laughs> two years in a row, you know? Um, uh, Pete Alonso, you have. He is a man who hits home runs, many of them. You have over under 41 home runs. Yeah, so for, 41 is, as everyone knows, the old Mets franchise record uh, held by Carlos Beltran and Todd Hundley before Alonso smashed it with 53 in in 2019 it was 53 right i'm not i'm not messing that up uh Um, you would know better than i would but yes i believe that's the right number yes it is 53 um you know 54 sounds better but 53 prime numbers are tough um and and alonzo in his quote-unquote down season last year and and I shouldn't like it was not as good a season as in 2019, and and Alonzo was obviously frustrated by it for a large stretch of it, um, but he was he still ended it on a 60 game pace that would have meant 43 homers over a full 162. The ball has been supposedly deadened this year. Uh, Alonzo himself did not think that would affect him greatly, and it, it probably I think when you think about it would affect uh, the guys who are are. We generally conceive of as like 20 home run hitters who became 30 home run hitters in the last few years. You know, Francisco Lindor might be the guy in the Mets roster who seems affected by that the most. Uh, but uh, it might take a few homers away from Alonzo. So I thought 41 was a, a nice area. Like, will he own the top two seasons in Mets home run history by the end of 2021? I think... You know what? I over the course of your explanation, it was like a roller coaster for me deciding which direction I was going to go. I want to point out you just because you mentioned his his rough season last year, uh, and this is just to sort of reiterate how small of a sample it was. Last season, over his final six games of the season, Alonso added one hundred points to his OPS uh, because they just hadn't played that many games. And, and also because he went 10 for 20 with four home runs. Um, and so, like, I just – I feel like that's just not a good – right? Like, maybe if you gave Pete Alonso another week, he stays hot, and then you look at his season line, and it's not a down year at all. You know, it's just it's just when you're playing so few games, it's, just, it's not a full season. I, I mean, it's – you know this. I don't know, I don't know why I'm telling you this. I, I think he's going to go over. I think he's going to hit – I think the dead ball will be a factor. I think home runs will be down. I think they have to be. Uh, um, 
I don't think they're gonna. It's gonna go back to like 1918, and I don't think Pete Alonso is gonna stop being like a a dude who hits monster home runs. So I think he's gonna hit 43 home runs. Yeah, I think even when Alonso has struggled, uh, and last year being a, a case in point, uh, and you know you go back to 2019 that stretch after the All Star game for mm-hmm. you know a good two and a half weeks in July, maybe even longer than that. Uh, I forget some intimate details of the 2019 season for some reason. You know, it's it's other things have happened since then. Um, but even when he's struggled, he hits home runs. Uh, he, like I remember that that stretch in July, even when he wasn't going well at the plate, uh, he hit some big home runs. Uh, I seem to remember one in San Francisco in an extra inning game that they managed to lose anyway. Uh, that like his struggles uh, are more in a they strikeout on base percentage batting average area. The slugging is still kind of there. Uh, and so I think uh, he's the type of guy who even in a bad season for him is still going to get to. Uh, the you know 40-ish home runs so I I will go over uh, he's looked very good in spring training uh, you know doesn't necessarily mean he's going to have a great year but it's better than nothing uh, and so I, I can see him uh, kind of hitting the ground running out of camp and just kind of going with it Brandon Nimmo you're giving me on base percentage over under 400 he's been over it Two of the last three years at 404 in both 2018 and 2020. He was down to 375 in 2019, uh, which we all remember from the start of that season when he looked about as lost as you can as a major league hitter at the plate, uh, when it just seemed like he was striking out every at bat. Um, but over the last three years now, that's a significant sample of an on base percentage of 397, uh, which is really good. Uh, 400 is very difficult to get to. I would still think I'm probably going to take the under here because 400 is so hard to get to. Uh, and, I, th- I, you know, I think I am on the the strong side of the Brandon Nimmo projections. I think Brandon Nimmo is a really good offensive player, really valuable one uh, that, that Mets fans, uh, even the ones who, who believe he's more than a fourth outfielder, uh, tend to underrate. Uh, but I, I don't think he'll get quite to four. I think he'll be close, but I don't think he'll get he'll get quite Wait, to 400 are there people who think he's a fourth outfield there's still people on twitter who there's say that but there, I mean, there are people gonna... there are people on twitter who say anything really it's so. like a rule for the internet right like any any the dumbest i mean you know there are people who have made made fortunes in sports media saying that lebron james is bad at basketball right so <laughs> so you can find for certainly you could find someone on twitter who thinks brandon brandon nimmo He's not a fourth outfielder. Brandon Nimmo is like an all-star caliber offensive player, right? He has a career 130 OPS plus. That's really, really good. I am. I agree with, I think, every single thing you said. I think. I also think he's a really good offensive player. I also don't think he'll get to 400. I just think it's a, it's a high number to expect someone to be at three out of four years. I, I, I could see... I can see 390. Like that's that's his career mark. I don't know like that he's that he's improving at this point. I think he's what he's going to be 28. So, I'll say I'll say he's under, but he's still really good. And then the the next one, Jeff McNeil, batting average over under of 315, which is I believe his career batting average. I should I should have brought this up. I believe it's 318. Uh, sorry, 319. Don't, don't want to shortchange him. Uh, it's 319. Uh, it's gotten down each year, 329 and 18, 318 in 2019, and 311 last year. But a guy who can pretty consistently hit 
easily above 300. Uh, do you think he'll be, I mean, 315 can put you right in the running for a batting title over a full season these days. Uh, do you have the over or under on that? Uh, I'm going to go ahead and take the over on this. I'm looking at McNeil's stats. It's It's been remarkably consistent. He has been, and I feel like there's, you know, and, and DeGrom suffered from this a little bit too. I feel like there's, for as much as there is that, that prospect sheen that lasts on guys when you're just like, maybe this is the year Delman Young puts it all together. Um, there is also like the non-prospect stigma that I think just gets hung on guys. And, and as much as I think it's stupid, I, I find myself doing it too. So you're like, ah, oh, really? Is Jeff McNeil going to, going to, uh, really keep doing this? It's like, why, why not? Right? Like he hit, he hit all the way up through the minors. Uh, he was an all-star. He, he, you know, like he's a, he's been an, an excellent offensive player for the entirety of his time in the major leagues, which is, which is now like close to two full seasons worth um so yeah i say i say over i say jeff mcneil takes advantage of the deadened ball and and sprays it all over the park and and hits uh 325 and wins a batting title how about that i I think one of the most interesting you know i like diving into the rabbit holes on baseball reference one of my favorite like individual season splits is mcneil's from 2019 his first half versus his second half like the OPS is essentially the same. It was nine seventeen in the first half, nine fourteen in the second half. But the way he got there was so drastically different. Like mm-hmm. he hit three forty nine in the first half of the season and two seventy six in the second half. But he hit seven homers in the first half and sixteen in the second half in fewer games. You know, it was seven homers in seventy six games versus sixteen homers in fifty seven games. Uh, and, and McNeil himself has said, like you know, I've, I and others have asked him about like whether he was trying to hit for more power consciously. And he, he said, no, it just kind of weirdly happened that way. Um, so I think it's that's an interesting debate to have. Like this is the old like Wade Boggs or Ichiro debate. Like they could hit for power if they wanted to, but they wanted instead to hit for ridiculously high averages. Uh, and I think McNeil is the kind of guy who prefers to hit for the average. And like we're talking about with the dead in baseball, probably – mitigates some of the desire to hit for power right uh, mcneil seems like a guy like you mentioned lindor mcneil seems like another guy where like i don't know if if the ball's really deadened i don't know that he's a 23 home run guy right he had right. 23 home runs in 2019 i don't think i don't think you're gonna see 20 out of him if the ball's actually deadened. and i mean like the 16 that he hit in the, the second half that's like a 45 homer pace for a full right. season uh, i don't think we're gonna see that so i i think he's he's always struck me as a guy who wants to hit for average more than anything else. Uh, so I, I will go over, but I think it's close. Uh, 315 is, is awfully hard to hit for these days uh, when you're, you're facing a bunch of different pitchers. And I'm, I'm interested in kind of where he hits in the lineup, how that affects what late inning relievers he sees uh, and whether he hits lefties the way that he has so far in his career. Uh, Cause he's done a really good job against them so far, uh, which is uh Always impressive for a young hitter uh, that that he's earned the trust against lefties right off the bat. He's got a 303 average against them uh, so far. And how wild is it for the Mets offense that we have just in Nimmo and McNeil, we were talking about two guys with with career OPS pluses over 130 who are in their late 20s, like still prime players, and and neither you would you say is like is any anything like the the focal point of the Mets offense, right? Those are both like. Those are both supporting members of the Mets offense, and and I think guys who are good enough to be you know to be looked at as as way more than that. 
Yeah, it was interesting when I tried to put together like how the Mets should construct their batting order. Uh, in general, when I would do that in the past, you know, you kind of have here's the one through eight or one through nine, depending on whether there's a designated hitter, the the list, and then on the 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 other side of the ledger, you've got basically the hitters ranked one through nine and how good they are as hitters. Um, and with the Mets, it's it's hard to do that ranking. Like you've got, I, I mean, I think I think you've got the top six guys are all. Uh, You've kind of got a group of elite six six batters. J.D. Davis and James McCann are probably a step below. Not that they're bad by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. If Davis is what he was in 2019, that's a great offensive player. If McCann is what he's been the last two years, that's a really good offensive player. But th- those other six kind of have a higher ceiling. Um, and you can order them. Like, I can buy that Francisco Lindor is, deep down, the Mets' best hitter. Like, if he has the, Mets, the best offensive season on the Mets this year, not a surprise. If he has the sixth best... Not a surprise. Like any one mm-hmm. of those six guys having the best offensive year for the Mets would not surprise me. I think I think McNeil might be the best all around offensive player that they have. I'm interested in seeing how his power better, plays you think this better year. Better than Conforto. I think so because I, I think Conforto you can. There are ways to get him out a little bit more than than McNeil. I think, uh, and, mm-hmm. and it really just comes down to like your preference of a hitter. Uh, you know, like Conforto is going to hit for more power. He's going to drive in more runs, pretty much based on where he hits as well. Um, but he's going to ground into more double plays. He's going to strike out a little bit more. Uh, he's not going to put the ball in play the same same level as McNeil. He'll walk more than McNeil. Like it's there. This is the kind of stuff that you're parsing when you're trying to rank these guys. Right. And so eventually when I was putting the batting order together, I'm like, it's basically just how you want to set your righty and righties and lefties. Because <laughs> Nimmo leading off is, is the, I think, the obvious answer there. And then the next five spots, you can kind of just you can jumble any way you want to and it's going to be a pretty good lineup yeah it's a it's something i'm excited about uh needless to say uh dominic smith dominic smith over under 39 and a half doubles yeah like this is a huge number um because... didn't someone hit a psychotic amount of doubles a couple of years ago like within the last two years I'd have to look up. I know the, the Mets team record I looked up is, I believe, 44 from Bernard Gilkey uh, in his great 1996 season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I th- there are always guys. Uh, I remember, I think it was Manny Machado in Baltimore early in his career was on like an insane. Oh, I think it was through. just it was just that that uh, Freddie Freeman hit 23 last season. Um, okay. Which was yeah. even, you know, which is so is like a pace for like fifty something or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean, S- Smith hit twenty one, uh, and that was a pace for fifty six, which would mm-hmm. crush the the Mets mark for doubles in a year and be like the most since World War Two, essentially. Um, guys right, get on since, these good... since guys were playing on fields with like no center field wall, and so they would just <laughs> hit lots of, lots of doubles. Uh, so I, I think the guys get on like really good paces for doubles over the course of a month or two months or half a season. Uh, they never really sustain it. Oh yeah, Nick so, Castellanos uh, two years ago hit fifty eight doubles. Really, that is that is a crazy number. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know that. <laughs> um, in twenty nineteen, I knew I knew that there was I, I I was just lingering around in my head that someone hit a hit a ton of doubles recently. A deep drive um, to left off the wall by Castellanos. Yeah, right. Um, so I, I think. You know, 39 and a half is high. Like, I would take the under on this. But I think the case for the over is that he had a lot of doubles last year. He's always been a doubles type hitter that was going to get to his power uh, as he matured. Um, 
and City Field plays well for his doubles power, especially gap to gap. He's less a guy who's going to drive. He's not going to be the Chase Utley driving home runs down the right field line at City Field over and over, um, or even Daniel Murphy when he did that for a stretch. Uh, and the deadened baseball means maybe a few more of those gappers are off the wall instead of over the wall. Uh, so I think there's a case to be made you can get 40 plus, but I, I probably would take the under still. I'm going to take the under, and I think you know I might be allowing uh, personal, like my personal feelings toward the player to to color my analysis here. I feel like Dominic Smith is going to hit 75 home runs this year, and so <laughs> there's just not going to be a lot of space for doubles. You know, like there's just you can only hit so many doubles if you're homering like once every three or four times as you come to the plate. Um, guys are going to start walking them, you know. So like if he's going to shatter Barry Bonds' home run record. Then I just don't see how he gets to forty doubles, you know, and and so uh, I don't think he gets there under. True, yeah, I think you know I I would have taken the under on the seventy three and a half home runs for Dominic Smith, but you make a compelling case. <laughs> yeah, uh, he seems really cool. I'd like to see him hit seventy five home runs. I think that would be fun. That's uh, something I'm rooting for this year. Uh, Francisco Lindor uh, slugging over under four eighty two. Which is, a, a, you know, you would say uh, a really good mark for a shortstop, a, a very good mark for anybody, but it's not like a, a spectacular. I think you think of 500 as sort of like the, the 300, 400, the 300 at batting average, the 400 on base percentage, the 500 slug. Yeah, like slugging percentage, and I was actually going to ask you how you feel about it as a stat, because it's one that even as I've covered the sport for a while, doesn't, like, I don't know offhand what a good slugging if you said like oh this guy slugs 460 be like that's pretty good okay it's decent but like i don't know you know you know what you know what 260 hitter means you kind of know what 340 on base percentage means for guys slugging i feel like i still don't have like a firm grasp on the differences between a guy who slugs 430 and 460 um, yeah, and I feel like it's it's something that I, I almost would never use in isolation. You know, it's like it's it's always the third, the third, you know, uh, item in the slash line. But I I don't know that I'm ever like, what's this guy gonna slug this year? Other than in this particular context, right? <laughs> Thank you for criticizing no my offense. question in a very no kind offense. way. No offense. <laughs> I I, uh, I think it's a fascinating a fascinating over under to consider. Uh, it's it's funny you mention that because like I'll when I write out how a guy did in the season like if I'm writing a story I'll write you know he hit uh you know this is what Lindor's line was last year like he hit 258 with a 335 on base percentage and a 750 OPS like I will slide yeah. entirely past slugging uh, yeah because so but you, you can do the math you can do the math right like right. you're leaving all the information is there but I will say and and this is something I forget who brought this up because it was oh I think I know I think it was this guy. Um, John Peterson, who used to run a Mets blog, this is way, way back, uh, like early Mets blog days. There's a guy who ran a Mets blog called Blasting's Thrillage, and he pointed out accurately that um, it. I'm pretty sure this was his point. Um, if not, I'll credit him anyway. It was a good Mets blog uh, that he hit. You can say he hit 258, and as a writer, like that is that is such an easy way to express a, a player's batting average but then you have to say with a 335 on base percentage which is like so much wordier so like if there were some way to just say like he 
based 335 last year or whatever you want to like whatever not based because that has like all sorts of 1986 Mets connotations but like if you if you had some verb for on base percentage I think a lot a lot of people would use it and you get one for slugging right because you can just say he slugged 518 or he slugged 415 but we need that and this is uh no one cares about this except people who have written about baseball for a living sentences would be a lot cleaner if we could come up with a verb for on base percentage would have saved so much on the newspaper word count all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, yeah. I, I remember having to, to argue with editors, like, to just be able to put OPS apostrophe D. Like, he OPSed uh, 750 yeah. or something like that. He slashed. Uh, I think sometimes you see people yeah. say he slashed that. I think that's pretty good. Like, he slashed 258, 335, 415. But it's so, it's so insidery. You know, like, you just, it's, you need to know what that means. And, and it doesn't. When you say he hit 258, it like sort of implies what it is. And he slashed. I don't think you get there. I don't know. Yeah, like I, I, I've read, probably not in the last couple of years, but people who had to write, you know, and had an on-base plus slugging percentage of four OPS. Um, and like seeing that in like 2019 was like, I think we can move past this. With, with Lindor, the reason I chose 482, that was his slugging percentage his rookie season. Uh, and mm-hmm. then he went below it in 2016 when he was still a pretty good hitter and then well above it he slugged over 500 from 17 through 19 when he was a 30 home run hitter each year his slugging percentage across the three seasons was 514 and then it really it plummeted last year you know he had a bad offensive year all around uh still above league average we should point out uh but slugged 415 uh so i think 482 is kind of in between the down of last year and the the high of earlier in his career slanted more toward the high um but I think, uh, I think it's going to be like right around this area. I think this might be the toughest one for me to actually pick. Um, mm. But I would probably go with like just underneath it. Like yeah. it, it would not surprise me if he like. I think his home runs are going to be down a bit again. Like we talked about with the with the baseball. Like I think he's probably more a twenty to twenty five home run hitter than a thirty five to forty home run hitter the way he was for a couple of years in Cleveland. Uh, but I, so I think that that'll affect the slugging a bit. Even he could have almost as good a season as he did in Cleveland. Uh, just the ball's going to stay in the ballpark a little bit more. Yeah. How does how does progressive field play? Uh, and and I'm putting you on the spot with that because I'm trying to I'm trying to Google it, but uh, I can only reach one arm into my pillow fort here, and so I'm it's it's going very slowly. Um, do you know how? Because I I just know from standing on the field in Cleveland that it feels tiny. Uh, have you had that experience? Like, ever, yeah. um, and and I guess it's because I'm I'm most accustomed to. But now I've you know I've spent a lot of time like around Yankee Stadium as well, and that feels real small. But like, I would say that that Progressive Field feels just as small as Yankee Stadium. I know it doesn't play that way, but um, it do- certainly doesn't feel as at, anywhere near as expansive as City Field. Right. So I, I looked up the park factors. Uh, last year it was a 107 for hitters. So I guess. Okay. 7% better mm-hmm. than the average park uh, and is a 104 over the last, the multi-year, I think it's three years that they, they do the baseball references, yeah. the park factors over. Um, I'd be, you know, you're, Lindor is a switch hitter, so I guess we don't really have to care too deeply about left field versus right field. I feel, I've always felt like progressive field plays better for righties with the, mm-hmm. yeah, the, that, that, that shorter right. wall and left. Um, City field last year played as a 98, so 2% easier, or 2% harder for hitters than the average park and is a 94 over several years. So, I mean, basically 
10 percentage points in the other direction from progressive field. So that will have yeah. an impact as well. So I think even if the ball wasn't deadened, I wouldn't be, I would, I would probably, I might take the under on, on 482. And so with knowing that the ball is not going to be as lively, no matter how much less lively it is, I think it's, I feel comfortable taking the under on this one. Yeah. Like I, I think Lindor is a very good hitter. Uh, and I, He's in a lineup now where he's not the obvious best hitter, which is, I guess, in Cleveland he had Jose. It was him and Jose Ramirez were carrying that lineup for so many years. And now he's got a lot of other guys there. Um, and, I, you know, like I said, I can see him having the best season of anyone on the Mets, even just offensively. But uh, I also see some people kind of dismissing him as the sixth best hitter on this team. Uh, I think he's better than that. And I think he's. we can't just look at him as an offensive player when you're trying to decide whether he's worth, say, Three hundred million dollars, just to throw a number out there. Right. Um, well, I mean, that, the guy is a, like, a pl- the, that's because I think that like it's Mets fans have been like they, it's been so long since they've had a plus defensive shortstop for a long term, right? That it's like no one even knows how valuable that is. But he is he is a good defensive shortstop, and he will be for a while, and that is worth a whole lot. Right. Like it, it's just I mean, just having a guy who can play shortstop the way he does defensively and be an average offensive player is really valuable. Uh, you know, he was on pace to be like, I think a four and a half win player last year, according to fan graphs, even when his OPS plus was 102. Uh, so if he gets that back to the 120 range that it's been in uh, for stretches of his career, uh, then it's it, that that's what makes him an MVP caliber player. Mm-hmm. Uh, good. We're on the same page on this one. Uh, Michael Conforto, RBIs. Come on. Oh, what is this? Are we doing this in 2004, Tim? We're talking about RBIs. Uh, it's over under 100. Under. Ah, uh, over. Because he's going to... Ha, where's he hitting vis-a-vis Dominic Smith? Right? Because if he's hitting after Smith, Smith's driving everyone in because he's going to hit 75 home <laughs> runs, right? So there's not going to be a lot of guys on base for Conforto unless it becomes like a Barry Bonds thing and all of a sudden Dominic Smith's got like a 609 on base percentage. Then you got to feel like Conforto gets to like 130. I like the idea that potentially Dominic Smith is hitting 75 home runs, but like not moving up in the order. Like he's still yeah, he's hitting still six. Late yeah. In the season. Um, I think we <laughs> gotta go with what works. Would, would you know? <laughs> yeah, he's comfortable there. <laughs> um, it, like it, uh, you know, uh, and and like where would you hit him eventually if he's doing that? Like, you know, Bonds hit third all the time, but. There is a part of you that's like, maybe you should just hit him second where right. a lot of teams hit their best hitters now. Uh, you know, RBIs are, are so dependent. I think on... anywhere, the answer is like anywhere he wants, right? <laughs> like you just, yeah, like you want to lead off, sure. RBIs are so dependent on on that batting order context. I was trying to, like, there's just... Uh, uh, and that makes me think, that makes me think comfortably over, honestly, because I, I'm assuming, and I haven't looked at I'm assuming that's like not, not too far off the mark for what you could expect out of Conforto on a normal season. And I just feel like to... To reiterate that point we made, it's just such a deep lineup. And that's the type of thing that that creates RBIs. Right. Like he got to 92 in 2019. He was at 82 in 2018. Uh, Those were with some bigger home run numbers, you know, 28 and 82, uh, 33 and 92. Uh, He had the weird year in 2017 where he only drove in 68 despite hitting 27 home runs. I think Curtis Granderson did essentially the same thing. One of those years where he hit like 30 home runs and had 40 RBIs uh, because he was hitting leadoff. Uh, you know, it's it's more a, a 
question about the entirety of the lineup and how it works than just Conforto, but 100 is a nice round number uh, that you have to throw out. You know, I'm not going to throw over or under 97 RBIs. Uh, you got It's got to be yeah. triple digits. Um, okay. And I'm going to say just under again, um, but like if Michael Conforto drove in 118, it's not it wouldn't surprise me. I just, I just want to see someone have like the Juan Gonzalez year in 98 or 99 when he had like 95 RBIs at the all-star break. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, it's been a while since we had like an enormous RBI season by anyone. Well, the, the offensive juggernaut 2021 Mets might be the, the team to do that. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Number of pitching appearances for position players in 2021. Now, uh, refresh my memory. Are they are they not, they're not banning, that? there's no rule against this now? or Because I remember there was like some weird, uh, this is... You got to keep in mind that that after I left my job, there was like a brief sort of dark period for me with baseball where I just wasn't following all that closely. But I remember there was they made all this thing about like, oh, you can designate how many guys can pitch and not everybody can pitch. But then there are uh, times of the game when those restrictions come off, right? It's like if you're up by four or more, down by four or more, anyone can pitch. I think it's something like that. Right. I'm, I'm trying to... Uh... Trying to look up what it was supposed to be going into last season. My understanding is that these rules are off the board. Okay. This is not a rule for this year. Good. But it was uh, the the margin had to be at least six runs, uh, or it had to be in extra innings. Okay. Uh, because you saw in the last full season in in 2019, uh, teams were much more aggressive with using position players. Mm-hmm. But you know, a top of the ninth down four kind of situation. Uh, See, I like that. Players. I don't understand why you can't like. Why can't you do that? It, I I feel and like it. I it feels like we're moving away from the notion of of not two way players because Sho- Shohei Otani's looked incredible in camp, but uh, 
you know, because of things like that and because it seems like the Universal DH is, is certainly coming, not this year, but it's coming. We all know it's coming. That, like, it will be increasingly that pitchers and hitters are just, like, separate aspects of this team and not just, like, a bunch of baseball players who are, uh, at least according to the rules, allowed to do whatever. But I really think there's, like, like and, and I thought about it when the Mets signed J.D. Davis because uh, if you ever watched J.D. Davis pitch, he can throw gas. Like, he throws in the low 90s. He pitched in college. Um, there's a – I think he had a – he might have struck out the side one time while, while pitching with the Astros. And, like, I just feel like there's value – and not him, because not him now, because now he's your your starting third baseman, and and that's different. But if you had a bench guy who was, you know, Davis, if he didn't become the starting third baseman, your right-handed bench bat, um, which is a guy you want to keep around, but not a guy you're necessarily going to use in every game, and he could also pitch once, twice a week, and give you like a seven ERA. There's some value in that, in just not having a better reliever throw those innings. Um, and so it kind of bums me out that, that, that we're moving away from that. And I think that someone will pitch. I think, I think there will be a position player, uh, position player pitching this year for the Mets. And I'd like it to be JD Davis because it's cool when, when you see guys come in and they actually have a little something. JD Davis pitched twice for the Astros in, uh, 2017 faced, uh, let's see, seven batters, walked one, allowed one hit, struck out three. Uh, and through stri- through 60% strikes, which is always the issue w- in these mm-hmm. situations. He also pitched in 2018 through an inning uh, and did allow a home run. Um, I'm interested in who he allowed that home run to. Uh, give me a second on looking that up. Um, yeah, like I think, and, and part of it is just like, it's fun, right? When a position player pitches. Yeah. Uh, like uh, he gave up the home run to Ian Kinsler uh, of the That's respectable. at that point. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's fun. Like with the Mets, there was Luis Guillorme uh, pitched as a position player uh, recently. Um, Jose Reyes did kind of memorably in, I forget if that was 2018 or 2019, the, the trade deadline. I think it was 2018, the trade deadline day where they lost by more than they'd ever lost before. Uh, and I remember like Paul Seawald in the having to warm up in a 24 to 4 game or something in the ninth inning just in case and not getting into the game. Yeah. Um, like it's, you know, I, I think every Mets fan has right. like the, the De- memory. Desi of, Relliford is the one that, that is pops exactly. Desi, really? Because yeah, because he yes. was throwing gas. Remember, Desi Relliford came in and was throwing like ninety four, and it was at a time when no one did that, and it was like maybe they should just make this guy pitch. Like, what's so good about? I'm mean, no offense to him, but like, what's so good about Desi Relliford, the backup shortstop, that you can't like give this guy a little turn on the mound? That was like the first time you saw someone, some position player pitch, and he was really good at it. Yeah, uh, it was like, oh, like maybe, yeah, like he could, he could do this more than just today. Um, so I, I don't, I, I think the rule is probably, you know, it's there, there is a point of diminishing returns with it, where if a position player is pitching for your team once a week, it loses the novelty. Well, but um, I don't need it to be a novelty. I need it to be a strategy, right? Like I just think that there, there are times when you could. I like where where you don't you don't want to carry a guy on your roster with a seven ERA, but there are times when you just need an inning, and and it doesn't and like it doesn't really matter if the guy has a seven ERA because you have a five run lead or whatever it is. Do you what do you think is the best? Like let's say the Mets threw J D Davis. I assume J D Davis would be the best pitcher they have in their position player group. If they threw him in twenty games this year, twenty innings, what is like the the best ERA he could put for, put up for them? Can I, I mean, 
Uh, no, if it's 20 innings, you could luck, he could easily luck into like a 3.5 ERA, right? If it's, if it's that short, because we see that happen with relief. I mean, how many times have you seen a reliever come up in September and look like he's lights out and then the next year not be able to get a single guy out? You know, like it's just, it's so fickle when they're, when they're pitching over, over that short span. Um, but I think, you know, uh, over a long enough time, I want to feel like, you're not going to get a position player with better than like six and a half ERA. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds about right. Back to the question. I'm, I'll, I'll go over also. It's a long season. Uh, yeah. This seems like something that will probably happen at some point. And but there's, probably like, not and there's more than one. still a lingering pandemic going on, right? Like any number of things could could happen. Uh, I mean, hopefully that's not that's not what does it. But like there's always this possibility that like, four guys have to sit out on and and they don't have time to to replace them you know i i don't know i guess they would not play the game in that case um but i don't know there's there's a lot of uncertainty still in the air and so yeah i think someone's gonna pitch uh we're gonna go through this last one fast because it's it's eight different guys it's eight it's eight part um and this is ops plus uh you have uh, number of Mets regulars out of eight. Oh, I did. I read this wrong. I didn't actually read this question. Okay. Um, so you, it's. I thought you just wanted over unders on each of these guys. Um, what you are giving me is the OPS pluses of the Mets eight regulars, um, and saying how many will have a better OPS plus in 2021 than in 2020. Which is just if you if you don't know OPS plus well, it's just just a shorthand for like general offensive season. Um, Pete Alonso, 123. J.D. Davis was 112 in 2020. Jeff McNeil was 131. Brandon Nimmo was 146. Michael Conforto was 156. Francisco Lindor was 102, which, as you mentioned, was uh, outside of, I guess, his rookie year. His It was his career low. Uh, James McCann was 144, and Dominic Smith was, was 169. Um, what do you got for me? Yeah, so I, I said, like, basically, how many of these guys do we think will be better in 2021 than they were in a small sample of 2020 i said the over under at two and a half uh i actually have to do the math to, to figure out what i'm oh, gonna right i forgot here. that part um, i forgot to say because two and i think half, like you yeah. look at <laughs> it was a confusing question i i acknowledge um like lindor at 102 that's a guy you think pretty easily is going to go i shouldn't say pretty easily but should be better than that over a full season in 2021 like i think he'll be better than you know ops plus is how you compare to the league ops uh so he was two percent better than the league last year i think he'll be better than that this year yeah it's, it's scaled like the way i was i try to think of it like if if people don't uh if you don't have a frame of reference for the scale um something else that's scaled to a an average like that is the sats so if you think like right like a 1000 on the SATs is is supposed to be average. So if you think of like like Conforto got a, a 1560 on his SATs last year and and Francisco Lindor got like a 1020 but like really he's a guy who could score a 1200. Dom Smith got a 1690. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, he went off the charts. He was perfect. And yeah. Yeah, which, so I, I yeah. think like Lindor is a guy who's who I feel really good about saying would be over what he did last year. Smith at 169. I know, you know, you think he's going to hit 75 home over, runs this way year. Over. I would, I would go in 200. I would say he's, he's going probably over going to be under that. You know, I think James McCann at 144 is probably under Conforto at 156, under. probably under Nimmo at 146, probably under. under. So under. that's four guys. I think you'd say won't be as good as they were in, in a 60 game sample last year. doesn't mean they're going to be bad, just not as good. Three. 
Well, Smith, McCann, Conforto, Nimmo. Just, just McCann, Conforto, Nimmo. Smith's <laughs> too over 200. Um, then, sorry. Uh, yes, you're right. That is four guys that you would probably, uh, mathematically, logically speaking, you would say will probably be under. Uh, Jeff McNeil's a tough call at 131 because that was actually his career low. Right, and he's been consistent like we've talked about. And if... Like, I think if you're taking, uh, like, a dark horse pick to be, like, an MVP candidate for the Mets this year, like, McNeil might be it. Uh, It would be a strange MVP candidacy. It would kind of be like the Dustin Pedroia 2008 candidacy where it's just, oh, he's, like, the best all-around hitter on a really good offense on a team that did really well. Uh, He had enough home runs to be part of this. Um, And, and, you know, he could have really a a huge year. Uh, Like, I think if someone's going to go pretty much over their career tracker. I think McNeil might be the guy. Davis at 112, mm. Alonzo at 123. I feel pretty good about those guys being over. Um, Davis, you know, I can see it going both ways. Uh, but I like, so in that sense, I think I probably should have said it over under three and a half. Because I think there are three good bets to be over, four good bets to be under, and McNeil is probably the hardest call in there. Um, yeah, I'll take the over. I'll say over, over two and a half. Um, even, uh, even amounting that Nimmo Conforto McCann probably going down, but, uh, I'll go over. I think Alonzo gets there. I think Davis, maybe, uh, and, uh, obviously Dom Smith. <laughs> what is, and, and Lindor, obviously Lindor, really Lindor. I'm trying to, what, what was Barry Bonds peak OPS plus? It was, oh, it was oh. like. 258 i want to say 268 um 268 in in 2002 uh i know that harper i think harper in his crazy year a few years ago was at 199 uh 198 yeah okay uh i know it's it's going over 200 is like the the ruth bonds williams uh you know like that's that's the that's the rarefied air it's happened but it, it doesn't happen often right and like with Bond, like one of the the most fun things about being a sports writer uh, is like hearing conversations in baseball clubhouses uh, about Barry Bonds um, and guys like really good hitters marveling at what he was able to do from that two thousand one uh, two thousand one to two thousand four stretch. Like uh, I remember a few years back, David Ortiz was talking about like how hard it was to get a four hundred on base percentage and how that was always his goal was like to get mm-hmm. to four hundred. And how impossible that seemed at times. Uh, and I think it was A.J. Pruszynski was like, man, I played with Bonds. He had a 500 one and just did it easy. And, he is 600 and, one. And Ortiz yeah, was yeah. like, no, man, you can't do 500. That's insane. And we looked yeah. it up. And I, I was like, no, actually, it was 600. And, and Pruszynski was like, that was the year I played with them. I didn't know it was 600. That's how absurd yeah. it is to contemplate a 600 on base percentage. I had a time. I don't know why. I'm, this has nothing to do with the Mets. It's just something I got to get off my chest because it was a, a a big moment for me in my life. It was a very small moment for for Barry Bonds. Um, I and the twenty fourteen World Series. I want to say I I did a story. I I went and I kayaked in in McCovey Cove for a story, um, which is fun. And I but I had to get back to do post game stuff, like tr- more traditional post game stuff. Um, and I was I was disgusting i was i was covered i can't get into a kayak without getting myself soaking wet with like weird gross bay water um and so i was just like squishing water out of my out of my shoes could smell myself in the seventh inning uh walking through the tunnel at 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 t park 
and uh, like just walking alone in the stadium tunnel toward the toward the press elevator, and someone else walking along alone was coming the other way, and like there was actual water like squishing out of like <laughs> I was leaving wet footprints along the the tunnel, um, and I looked up at the person like in in embarrassment to like why am I like because I probably looked like I wet my pants, um, and the person was Barry Bonds. <laughs> And he nodded at me, and I think he saw my jaw drop. Like I, like I think I. It was like there's. I, it's. It is so hard to for someone who has I don't know worked in that type of job for for a while to still be like starstruck. Barry Bonds was like I might have been. It was like I was a hit with a steamroller. Like the oh, that's him. That's it. That's the Barry Bonds, and uh, I think he appreciated. That I was so blown away by just seeing him uh, because he was majestic. <laughs> um, As that you was all of the our... water out of your shoes. Yeah. Oh, and I smelled so bad. Like even going back up there. Yeah. Uh, there have been there have been so many times I've wound up in in like major league baseball press situations when I've just been like physically disgusting. Um, and you know what? Like there's always someone else there like that too. Um, that's, that's the good news. We got one question. Uh, we have, we have a few questions, but we have a, a pretty straightforward one uh, from from Aaron. Do you want to tackle this? Sure. Yeah. Let's dive into it. Uh, Aaron wants to know. He says, "I feel like many outlets treat Dellen Batances as a lock for the bullpen, yet he has looked dreadful in spring. While spring stats don't typically matter, they are important for measuring physical recovery. Batances appears to be a shadow of the pitcher he was and a liability on the mound." Will his large price tag put him on the roster, or would the Mets be willing to carry a pitcher with more upside? Tim, you are way more qualified than I am to answer this question. Yeah, so I, I mean, I, I think uh, Aaron's probably not alone in asking that. I don't like. I don't think Dylan Batances is guaranteed an opening day roster spot with the way that he's looked. I don't think it's his his finances that 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 make him likely to start the season uh, on the opening day roster. Um, I don't think like the Mets are not going to release him. Um, at the end of spring training or something like that. I'm not going to designate him for assignment. Uh, I think what you might see, uh, and I, you know, I had, this is me speculating, I have not heard anything in this direction, is if they don't feel confident with where he is, you might get like the IL stint at the start of, of the season to just work some things out to spend a little bit more time uh, down in Port St. Lucie until he mm-hmm. feels better about where his velocity is because it's it's been 90 to 91 and even a bit below that uh, at stretches this spring. Uh, and, you know, this is a guy who used to throw 98 and you're hoping was would, would throw 94 to 96 the way he did last season uh, at times. So, you know, I, I can see it wouldn't it wouldn't stun me if there is an IL stint to start the year to get someone else on the roster uh, to maintain some some roster flexibility to give Batanzas some more time. I don't think this is like a Brad Brock situation where the Mets moved on from him even before spring training uh, because they didn't think they had a role for him longer term, even though they had guaranteed $2 million to him. Uh, so Batances, I believe it's $6.8 million, uh, is his salary. I think they're like, if you're asking me if Dylan Batances is guaranteed a roster spot all season, no. You know, it, it, him and Familia both could be guys that if they don't perform well, uh, could be moved on from at some point this season with the Mets eating the rest of their money. I don't think they're in a position now to do that. I think you want to give Batances more of a chance to see what he was able to, to work on in the offseason, see what he looks like when he's a bit healthier. 
Um, it's hard to do when you've got two of those guys in your bullpen in, in Batances and Familia that limits, you know, it's a lot easier if you're just if you're carrying seven guys, you trust a little bit more. And one guy who's trying to work on things, it's harder when it's six and two. Um, and also, I, I don't know that there's, there is someone that is so can't miss in the Mets bullpen race in that, 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 that group of candidates for the last spot. Like, it's not like they're guys knocking down the door that need to be on the opening day roster and Dylan Batances is standing in their way at this point. You know, it's it's guys like Jacob Barnes, it's Mike Montgomery, it's Tommy Hunter, uh, it's uh, Robert Gazelman, who's got options anyway. Uh, like, you know, I, I don't think you're going to move on from Dylan Batances permanently just to make room for one of those guys. Yeah, and I think you don't, like, you don't, it's not about Batances, how much money he's going to make this year. It's about what got him paid in the first place, right? It's a, it's that because uh, you have to assume that Sandy Alderson certainly and Steve Cohen are better at at understanding you know sunk cost than uh, than certainly many many GMs in in baseball's past. But uh, I would just feel like you know this guy's and it's it's a it's a few years now, but a few years ago this guy was the best reliever in baseball, and and. It's that's in there somewhere. Whether it can ever come out again, whether the the body will permit it again, is is a different question. But I think it's tough to cut bait on someone like that when you know uh, there is that that upside there somewhere. And I, I shouldn't pretend like I know everything with this front office because like the, their timing in releasing Brock surprised me. I thought that was someone that we would have be having mm-hmm. this conversation about right now rather than before spring training started. Uh, so they've been aggressive in that regard once before in this area, but I don't think Batances. I, I think because of of who he has been, you know, not again, not that long ago in the past, and because of the the reasons he struggled in the past couple of years being completely physically related. Uh, I think you give him a little bit more of a runway or an, or an on ramp onto the season uh, to see what he can do. So even if he's well, not Tim- on the opening day roster, you're not you're not cutting him or anything in my mind. We are out of runway here on the Metrospective podcast for this week. So uh, we should wrap up, and I will say, please uh, do send us your emails. We are uh, You can get at me at, at asktedberg at gmail.com. You can tweet at me at ogtedberg. You can tweet at Tim at, at Tim Britton. Uh, rate us and review us on iTunes, please. We, we love seeing the feedback. Tim, next week, next week, we're going to be looking forward to opening day. And now everyone's an hour closer to opening day. Oh, thank heaven. Thank heaven. Tim, thank you so much, and peace out. Adios.